This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, November 23rd, 2018. I'm Caleb Brown. There's no question that public school teachers got angry in 2018 over teacher pay, over school choice, and over pensions. But what does compensation data tell us about the justifications for those protests? Victor Riches is president of the Goldwater Institute. We spoke at the State Policy Network annual meeting in October. I have my suspicions about this, uh, but a lot of the teacher protests that seemed to have just sprung up in several states, that struck me as uh, sort of a pre-reaction to the Janus decision. Uh, That is, you know, we know this is not going to go our way. Let us uh, make some, take some pains now, take some effort now to translate Uh, the current level of political power that unions possess and turn that into electoral gains in November of 2018. So, uh, you know, to the extent that's true, and I don't know that it is, it's just a suspicion on my part. um, What do the data tell us about teacher compensation and about the, the, you know, the degree to which they may be justified in this extreme outpouring of anger about uh, what they're getting paid. Sure. Well, it's it's interesting, and I do think your suspicions are correct. It, the Red Fred movement clearly is a union play. Um, it, it was interesting in Arizona. We had about fifty thousand teachers marched on the Capitol, and the march was ostensibly, uh, or primarily at least, uh, for uh, higher teacher pay. It's, it was interesting because I've had a number of people ask me, well, what do you think of the Red Fred movement out there? And you have to give them credit to get that many people to go out and march on the Capitol. But the reality is they're marching on the wrong place. Um, at least in Arizona, the legislature and the governor do not set teacher pay. It's the school districts themselves that set teacher pay. And so when you ask what the what does the data show, well, at least in in Arizona, there's a dramatic difference in teacher pay between those school districts that emphasize teacher pay and those school districts that don't. Um, but even the average teacher pay in Arizona is right in line with the uh, average salary in Arizona. So the the notion that um, education is underfunded, that teachers have been underfunded. Uh, that data certainly does not bear out. You know, teachers have have made this issue. They've tried to broaden it to some degree and say this isn't just about salaries. This is about uh, you know attacks on public education more broadly, and they included in that is generally school choice. Yeah, I, and that that has been a major complaint in uh, in the Red Fred movement in Arizona. In fact. Last year, uh, uh, we, meaning the Goldwater Institute, we got past a universal school choice measure. Uh, the opponents of school choice, which are many of whom are part of the Red for Ed movement, then subsequently went and got that measure referred to the ballot. So now it's actually going to be on our November uh, elections this year. Uh, so, so yeah, they are very opposed to school choice, and they make the argument that it's taking money out of the classrooms. And it's very interesting when they say that because, again, that's data that simply doesn't bear out. It doesn't e- exist. I spent 
uh, 20 years working at the legislature and working in the governor's office. And I can say with 100% certainty that the legislature, uh, uh, frankly, to uh, almost an absurd extent, would dump more money into K-12 funding with little or no accountability. And so the notion that that more school choice is corresponded with less dollars going into the classroom is wrong. And in fact, there's is data from around the country that indicates the teacher salaries actually go up in places that have more school choice because it does create the market competition that otherwise wouldn't exist in, in uh, teaching whatsoever. All right. So uh, I don't know how this functions in Arizona, but uh, in many states, I assume that teachers' salaries are not set at the local level. Yeah. Um, it, well, in, in, in Arizona, they're, they're set at the district level. And so the district makes decisions about uh, what the teacher salaries are, what administrative salaries are. One of, the, one of the problems, though, that we have, certainly not just in Arizona, but across the country, is a very antiquated funding model for education. And that is a funding model based on oftentimes hundreds of school districts, which harkens back to the days when there was, when we lived in a more of a sort of a rural society in this country and you needed multiple school districts to educate kids. Oftentimes, an entire school district would be for just a handful of children. Well, today with technology, there is no need to have dozens or hundreds of school districts. In Arizona, we have about 250 separate school districts. That's 250 separate sets of superintendents, administrators, et cetera. So you can just imagine the volume of dollars that are being spent on things that have no bearing on the classroom uh, whatsoever. And w whenever people ask me, well, well, don't you think fun, uh, school funding is, uh, is uh, or the schools are being underfunded in Arizona because our, our local media always says we're 49th or 48th in the country. And I say, well, we spend $10 billion a year on K-12 funding to educate uh, roughly 1 million students. So $10,000 per student is certainly not underfunding. It's more than enough. And I actually think if you ask people, you think $10,000 is enough, people would be surprised how much money we actually spend. And, and uh, when you compare, certainly compare apples to apples in terms of funding and tax bases, truth is Arizona is right in the middle of the pack. So uh, when we calculate uh, how much is spent per pupil, uh, it doesn't strike me that you take, generally speaking, the total dollars spent in a sector and divide it over the number of young people that are within that system, that, that by the time you get to the point at which you're calculating how much is spent per pupil, it's done by a completely different method. Your method seems very intuitive here. And, and when you're talking about total dollars, yeah, the, presumably every one of those dollars goes toward uh, educating students in some variety. But when you actually get down to uh, the official data on uh, what it costs to educate a student, the numbers go down, do they not? Yeah, no, no, you're, you're, you're exactly right. And it's interesting the the way they the way they meaning the sort of traditional education community likes to come up with these numbers. It they are it, it is an extremely skewed way of looking at things. It, you know, the, as, as any economist will tell you, whenever you're trying to compare apples to apples, you certainly have to consider total tax bases. And so you can't look at places like uh, you know like Connecticut or Pennsylvania and compare them to a 
Utah or in Arizona. You know, you can't look at states that have a much greater uh, population of young people and also a much greater population of retired people. So two ends of the spectrum that pay the least amount of taxes and say, well, we need to have the exact same type of funding system that a Connecticut has. But uh, for since since they believe that works in their advantage to show the numbers that way, that's the way they like to do it. But when you really create an apples to apples comparison, um, Arizona at least is right is right in the uh, is right in the middle of the pack. And as you alluded to, there is absolutely no data that shows that just dumping more money into K twelve education increases results. And in fact, in Arizona, if we were to accept their numbers and say, all right, we're 48th or 49th, well, our NAEP scores have been going through the roof over the last few years. And so performance is not, is you certainly can't quantify dollars spent and expect that to uh, lead to an increase in performance. So what are some of the uh, educational programs, uh, you know, education savings accounts, uh, scholarship tax credits, things like that, that other states ought to be looking at that uh, you know, in your opinion, have performed well in Arizona. Sure. I, well, I think there, I think there are really four areas that are certainly worth looking at. Uh, charter schools is at the top of the list, and and at this point, you know, most of the country, in one form or another, have have embraced at least some level of of uh, charter schools. But charter schools, their performance, it's been demonstrated repeatedly. Their performance is through the roof. So. Um, through the roof. Quantify yes. that, if you would. <laughs> the the both from a satisfaction standpoint in terms of parental satisfaction, but also academic performance. Charter schools outperform public schools and and just about every traditional public schools and just about every measurement. And I I think it's important to remember the the charter schools are in fact public schools. They are part of the public school system, uh, much to the chagrin of the public school system, but they are part of it. They just happen to be a part that's working a lot better than the uh, traditional public school system. Um, I also think open enrollment is a very important element of school choice. That is where uh, if you uh, your if if the, your neighborhood school is not the school that best suits the needs of your of your a child, you can move that child into a different public school, um, without without regards to how close it is to your house. And in Arizona, these open enrollment has worked out very well, both in Phoenix and Tucson, the the two largest metropolitan areas of the state. Um, uh, roughly fifty percent of parents are taking advantage of open enrollment. And then you mentioned STOs uh, and ESAs. I think those are the two. The two big ones and the two most controversial ones. The, the traditional education community can accept open enrollment to an extent. They're sort of living with charter schools, although they don't like them, but they're really opposed to STOs and they're very opposed to ESAs. In their mind, ESAs are just another form of uh, vouchers, which of course uh, the traditional education community is adamantly opposed to, although they are opposed to it without any data to back up that opposition. Victor Riches is president of the Goldwater Institute in Arizona. We spoke at the State Policy Network annual meeting in October. You can rate the Cato Daily Podcast at iTunes, Google Podcast, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. And you can follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.